The first sale, I don't remember which house it was specifically, but I do remember pretty much calling my mom every five minutes. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, So I, I felt like I knew what I was doing, but you just don't have that confidence. And so having someone like that to lean on, it was it was great. And, you know, there was a number of clients in the first couple of years that were like, you know, your mom's involved in this, right? So. <laughs> Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the titans of real estate. The show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. In this episode, Dan O'Connor. Thank you to our show sponsor, Bo Concept. Today, we welcome to the Diggs Influencer Podcast, Dan O'Connor. Dan is owner of O'Connor Properties and agent at Strand Hill Christie's International Real Estate. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Before we jump into talking real estate, you epitomize what it means to be a South Bay local. What was it like growing up in the South Bay? It was amazing. It was, I feel very fortunate to have grown up here. It was different back when I was growing up here. It felt less crowded. It felt less known of a place, less less discovered, so to speak. It felt less affluent. It was a great family area, family neighborhood, and very much a beach town, which I still think comes through today, which is the draw, uh, the schools and and the family and the community and the beach. I always joke, like I, I played football in high school and we were the second tier sports team at our high school next to beach volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Like volleyball is so ingrained in this community and then surfing and, and the beach life and being on football, we were like second class citizens. It was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite city in the South Bay, you think? Well, it's changed. I mean, I grew up in Manhattan Beach. I grew up three blocks from the beach in Manhattan and I love Manhattan. It's It's always going to have a special place in my heart, but I live in Hermosa now and have lived there 12, 13 years. And I just absolutely love Hermosa, the quaintness. It's literally less than half the size of Manhattan Beach geographically. And so there's some really cool benefits that come with that. Uh, the neighborhoods are, you know, more tight knit and the schools are smaller. And it's just, it's, it's a really cool place. And a footnote for our audience, we are, we are recording this podcast in Hermosa Beach, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's and funny. my office is in Hermosa. And yeah, my, yeah, it's great. Speaking of Hermosa, so I when I graduated college, I moved here in 1990, and it was Hermosa Beach, my first where I first lived. Oh no way! And then Manhattan, and then back to Hermosa, and now I live in Redondo. Okay, so yeah, yeah so you're almost a South Bay local. Almost, I think. <laughs> I think another couple of years I'll qualify. It's right? Like, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll hit the your, 25 your applications year mark. in for <laughs> pending review. Cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. So being local, so tell me about your journey also before you got into real estate. We're going to talk a lot about real estate, but like, you know, again, South Bay, what did you do for fun and what like what pockets of the community, like 
surfing? What was what were yeah. you doing as a youth? Yeah, as a youth, it was um, just a lot of activities. I joke around like because I have two kids now, and they don't just go out and disappear and you know and come back when it's dinner time anymore. Like childhood's very different than when I grew up. But when I grew up, I grew up on the Walk Street. We were three blocks from the beach, and so every summer all day long be at the beach and i was very into boogie boarding and then surfing and did junior lifeguards and and dabbled in volleyball and stuff i was never a great volleyball player but everything revolved around the beach and being near the beach and all that kind of stuff and then got into the typical sports soccer and basketball and baseball and football and stuff like that but just absolutely love being close to the beach and it was very ingrained in me and then just being in the water our family we grew up with you know ocean boat or a or a river boat and um so water sports is a big part of my life you know we forgot to mention the punk rock scene at Hermosa Beach right right yeah black flag black flag Pennywise Pennywise is a little more of my generation but I mean (laughs) endless a number of summers on 4th of July the big deal was where's Pennywise going to pop up and have like an impromptu show? And so you just would wait for the word to get out. And we didn't have social media back then. We didn't like, we didn't have cell phones. So your buddies aren't texting you. You're just like, it's literally word of mouth. And you would, you know, 4th of July is a scene here and always has been. It's one big party. And as a kid growing up here, middle school, high school, you were like, dying to find out where Pennywise was going to play, like whose front patio, or it'd be like an empty dirt lot. And they would play as long as they could until the cops got called and then everybody would disperse. So, yeah. Too bad that can't happen, happen today, <laughs> no, right? right? At a, at Nobody a bomber would strand ever house. let that happen, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So after your high school, where did you, you ended up in San Diego, right? Yeah, I went down to San Diego, the University of San Diego, which is a small Catholic school right off of SeaWorld Drive and just east of Mission Beach, Pacific Beach and did four years down there and lived by the beach as soon as I could uh, while I went to school and then loved it every minute of it and then came back home after I was done. And so I don't know if you like to say or or there's a saying about you that you were born into real estate. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I, I definitely say that. So I mean, it's <laughs> Tell us about that. Both parents, uh, my mom and my stepdad were in the real estate business. They've They've owned brokerages. They've managed brokerages. They've just been brokers. They've just been agents. They've my stepdad owned a property management company along with all the brokerage stuff, and my mom mainly focused on buyers and sellers. Um, she she did do management for a little bit as well as selling the whole time. Yeah, I mean it was stuff that, I mean she had one of the first cell phones in the car, like the built-in car phones that oh, were yeah. like bolted into the console. <laughs> yeah, I got hit across the head once with that because I was talking while she was on a business call and it was fun. Yeah, I mean it's just it was all around growing up. So when you started in the business, did you work partner with with your mom? Is it was it her brokerage at the time or she was a broker associate at a local company, South Bay Brokers, which recently in the last few years got acquired by Sotheby's. At that point, she was just focusing on buyers and sellers. And when I finished college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I definitely had the real estate bug. And she's like, look, if you don't really know what you want to do yet, why don't you come up here and you can work for me? And so I started out literally as her assistant, 8.25 an hour. And uh, along with just doing, you know, all the like assistant type stuff, which I was happy to do because I was learning, 
I also just shadowed her on every appointment and like would drive around buyers. I'd drive, she'd sit shotgun and talk to the buyer. She actually really liked that feature. And I'd go on every listing appointment. And so I was just soaking it up. You like sponged sponge. up all that. <clears throat> yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. It, it, it literally, I, I do, I've told people uh, a number of times, like I wouldn't be in this business if it weren't for that type of opportunity. Because just to start fresh on your own with, with no mentor like that, I mean, it's it's really brutal. So family businesses, though, can be really challenging, right? How did yeah. you overcome that? What's really funny is my mom and I didn't have the best relationship growing up. She's a very like big personality and a very assertive person. and but But those are all the strengths that make her a great business person. And when we started working together, we just really understood our roles and they, they morphed over time. And, but she was very open from the beginning to things that I could add to the business. Technology was just starting to really infiltrate the business. So computers and not just computers, but like the software specifically for real estate, cell phones, you know, and how we use them. And then obviously cameras and, you know, photography and all that was really coming of age. And so we actually worked really, really well together. And we, one thing I will say for anybody that's listening that like is going to work with a family member, we sat down at the end of every year and, you know, essentially renegotiated our deal. And it progressed over time to partners, to 50-50 partners. And then she slowly faded out of the business and it was it was a it was a great thing where we would sit down every year talk about what the next year was going to look like and what our agreement was going to be and what how we felt like we did the year before and it was a great thing to do that helped us kind of have a good understanding of each other that's great advice i mean to be in alignment and just sort of recalibrate right every year and yeah hey here's yeah that's awesome yeah so tell me about your first sale how like your first, first sale, you got, you, you know, you're in escrow. What, tell me about that first sale. The first sale, I had the worst memory. So I don't remember which house it was specifically, but I do remember pretty much calling my mom every five minutes. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, what am do I, I do doing next? the right thing? Yeah. Who, you know, so I, I felt like I knew what I was doing, but you just don't have that confidence. And so having someone like that to lean on, it was, it was great. And you know, there was a number of clients in the first couple of years that were like, you know, your mom's involved in this, right? So <laughs> it was it was a benefit for both of us. Yeah, that's great. So, what about your biggest sale? Biggest sale to date would be three thousand one, the Strand and Hermosa. Oh, sorry, no, that got eclipsed a year ago by um, fifteen forty, the Strand and Hermosa. That was over $14 million. Whoa. Yeah. And so that was a new construction, three stories, plus a basement on the corner of 16th and the Strand and Hermosa. And that client, by the way, called off a postcard four, four years before, and we just stayed in touch. We ended up doing a couple other deals before this one, but she lived on the corner of 8th in the Strand and wanted to upgrade. So I sold her 8th in the Strand for over $8 million and then parlayed it into the 16th in the strand. So it was over $20 million. So from $8 an hour to 22 million, you know, in sales and on two deals. Yeah, I haven't really looked at it that way, but yeah, (laughs) not bad. Not bad, right? That's why this industry is is so fascinating. And that's why there's what, a million five 
licensed agents in the, yeah. in the U.S. trying to trying to make it happen. Yeah, and I feel like a million of them are in the South Bay. Yeah, seems like, <laughs> I think I think uh, you know Manhattan Beach has literally more agents per square foot than any. The bell. Did you hear that, Karen? <laughs> time's up. The time's up. Um, sorry, I dropped my water uh, lid. Right. Manhattan Beach has more agents per square foot than any. I believe community it. anywhere probably. I believe you know? it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a highly competitive uh, industry, and then and then obviously in this area, it's even more competitive. So Dan, I'm gonna throw you a little curve. I'm I'm big on you know marketing and branding, and and I do a lot of reading and studying, and this is sort of my passion. Mm-hmm. And you know, marketing and branding is all about you know telling a story and creating a story. So let's have some fun. If I was if I owned a property on the Strand, okay, okay. And we were going to come out at 18 million. Okay. Okay. And I was interviewing you to sell my home. And I just simply asked you like, Hey Dan, what's your story? Yeah. How would you answer that? I really pride myself on being in tune with the market and being in connection with the players in the market. And I think that is essential in this business, just in general. And, and then especially in the super high end, you, you have to have relationships with other agents and you have to be able to get the feedback from those agents and you have to, you know, you have to be able to show these houses, you know, uh, crazily enough, half the houses in the super high end are, are teardowns. So you don't really have to know a lot about the house itself, but the other half that are beautiful new construction home, you know, you have to know what lighting system, what sound system, what you know all the materials are and there's a gazillion materials nowadays and to be an expert and be able to answer questions to any buyer that comes along is absolutely essential so you sound like you know what you're doing the whole thing in this whole entire business is making people believe you know what you're talking about that's why i believe people would choose to work with me that's why i hold open houses like because i can sit there and be myself and if I can have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody, they can at least know I know what I'm talking about. And if we, you know, that's kind of my quote unquote hook. Like I, I take a lot of pride in having a lot of knowledge in this business and I want to share that knowledge. And I want, you know, my clients to benefit from that. So I try to express that with any client, you know, but especially in the high end, you have to feel like you know what you're talking about with the specific property. And then obviously with the market in general and with uh, other comparables to this property, you know, knowing how you stack up against other properties because the buyers know, forget the buyer's agents, the buyers know what they're looking at. And in the super high end, you got to make them want to pull that trigger because half the time they're just like, you know, oh, I don't, you know, they just can be not super motivated because yeah. there's usually no huge rush right mm-hmm. well said that's awesome so you mentioned uh, new construction and i know you have a passion for new construction and development and obviously the south bay has seen a ton of development yeah how do you see that the development market today so the speculative development market has really slowed down as far as the number of houses coming to market in general like when i w- the first half of my career you know, it was like, it felt like 90% of the new homes being built were speculative and just a handful of builders. And there's still a lot of spec builders in town, 
But what's changed is the value of the land has gone up so much. The profits, you know, for these guys and their performers aren't quite there. They're they're much pickier now, and they're they can't quite get to where they need to be to make business sense. And so, and buyers have become, you know, less fearful of the building process. So there's so many more custom homes being built that you know you don't have the same market. You know, I, you know that you used to it's it's very interesting how that the market's shifted so and we'll, we'll talk more about the market yeah in a little bit but what's your favorite style of architecture that's the south bay is so eclectic yeah i mean beach cottage to modern to yeah what, what's your favorite style i mean my the one that kind of tugs on my heartstrings is like an like a quintessential beach cottage the kind of like enclosed you know window porch and the like super angled roof lines and you know the the um, shingle style or like long plank wood style two story kind of like just like i said quintessential beach cottage i also really really enjoy like a really nice soft modern i just can appreciate the craftsmanship that comes into something where there's seamless parts to a house or just joints and stuff that aren't covered up by trim and you know all this kind of stuff you can get away with in a craftsman or whatever the craftsmanship that goes into a really nice modern home is something i appreciate so speaking of architecture like it's kind of interesting i noticed i mean the south bay is so laid back right we're beach right so we're laid back and the architecture seems like it's it's laid back in its own way you know and it seems like there's there's themes that come and go and but they sort of go in a group like right they're building modern and modern's happening there's a lot of modern going on totally and then plantation is the rage and then we do the plantations right and now it's kind of played out people are getting sick of it which yeah. you, you know it, you wouldn't have thought you would hear a couple years ago but yeah it's just interesting because like on the west side people take a lot more maybe risks and chances i don't know the architecture is all over the place but there's like full-blown glass houses and, yeah you know interesting crazy stuff going on you think i think that- because it's just such a smaller market geographically and even inside you know manhattan beach there's so many different little niches that we just can't be as brave unless it's like custom because you know a lot of these again spec it's a business and they need to sell they don't want to sit on these houses and when you're spending millions and millions of dollars on the land plus the construction you know that interest clock you know, runs and runs. And if you do something really brave, it's not for everybody, you know? And so I think they're just not as risk adverse and there's just not as quite of an appetite down here because the area is so much smaller. That makes sense. So another curveball for you. Okay. Tell us about any sort of funny, can't believe it happened TMZ type real estate moments. (laughs) Um, Jeez, you put me on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> that was my that was my plan. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I mean, I've had a couple celebrities come through houses that has always surprised me. Like when I had many years ago, I had that three thousand one the Strand, and I opened the door, and Michael Strahan comes through the through the door, and that was pretty cool. He's he's an absolute monster of a human being, super nice. But you know, it's such a crazy business that weird stuff happens all the time. A funny story and not necessarily like TMZ based, but (laughs) literally I was growing a beard at the beginning of the year and it was my like playoff beard. You know, I was growing it until I closed my first deal and I closed my first deal 
like a week ago and I came home from being with the kids skiing and on Sunday I shaved the beard off and four hours later I had an escrow cancel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, Don't I need to start growing beard. this beard right back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's just, it's such a, it's such a crazy business. Like it, it and it is great and it is horrible all at the same time. So it's unlike any other business I'm familiar with. Yeah, it's totally yeah. unique. I agree. I agree. So let's dive into the market a little bit. Um, okay. Some some insights and intel. So I want to go back to the this idea of local, since you, you again, epitomize what it is to be a local. What is the old adage like real estate is local mean to you? You know, they say real estate's local. What does that really mean to you who's, who is a bona fide local? Yeah, I mean... I think to me, there's sentimental value to different areas, different streets. And, and, and for everybody, it's different. You know, you can go buy a new house in, in the tree section or East Manhattan and be very happy. But for me, it's like, what does this street mean to you? What does this neighborhood mean to you? Or what does this lifestyle create for you? That's kind of what you really want to dive into when you're looking for that special home around here and every street's different it's a very eclectic area i mean every street's different every little niche is different all they all have pluses and minuses we have neighborhoods that don't have sidewalks we have neighborhoods that do have sidewalks we have walk street houses we have walk street houses that are on you know hills and we have flat walk streets and every niche comes with something different and 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 honestly what you tend to get around here too, less than you used to like a generation ago, is people move to different niches as they go along in life. You know, you, you move to East Manhattan for the big yard, and then you move west of Sepulveda to be closer to town, and then you move to the sand section uh, to enjoy the view and really be close to town and enjoy the beach. And obviously, it's, in our area, that's the most expensive, essentially. Um, and then you move to PV to get away from exactly, <laughs> or you move to Palm Springs to you know yeah, to go. It is funny how it's, the you can there. sort of trace the migration right yeah. of like yeah yeah. Absolutely. But when my parents, you know, we we literally just lived on the Walk Street because that's where my mom wanted to be, and you know, I I grew up on the Walk Street. Looking for a personal stylist for your home. Check out Bow Concept. One of their design consultants can help you make the most out of your space. No request is too big or small for living, dining, sleeping, home office, and outdoor spaces. And check out their Southern California showrooms in Orange County and Costa Mesa and also in Los Angeles and La Brea. For more information, visit Bow Concept at bowconcept.com. Email info at bowconcept.la. So let's talk about pricing. I mean, no secret, pricing has gone completely totally richter you know astronomical i mean manhattan beach alone if you look at like the hill in the tree section and sand section mm-hmm. easily up over 50 percent since 2013 right so what do you think pricing like what are the implications to this continuous break new records you know new development like what what are the what in terms of just what, what do you think of future affordability and like, is there a middle class anymore in the South Bay? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a few thoughts. I mean, I think you touched on it right there at the end. Like there, like it's, 
it's hard to get into Manhattan Beach under $2 million. Like, and that's insane. Like, that's crazy. Even East Manhattan, like a teardown is going to cost you a million and a half dollars, you know, within 10% plus or minus. And it's a teardown, you know, and you're spending a million and a half dollars. So it's, it's absolutely crazy what the prices have done. I think one of the things that has kept the market going is the interest rates are so low like still still money has been so cheap it is ridiculous if you borrow you know less than 30 year fixed like you're like three percent under three percent or just over i mean that's insane and 30 year fixed are like high threes maybe four you know i sound like my mom when i say this but my first house like the interest rate was eight percent my mom tells stories about her first house the interest rate was 16 percent there's obviously different price categories but if you just take the interest rate for what it is, I mean, that's, that is historically low and still, and they keep talking about rates going up and I truly, truly believe they're going to, they just haven't. Again, the theme of the first half of this podcast has been local and like me growing up here. But as you know, like I'm a rare breed and so we're, we are getting, you know, people moving from out of the area and it's such a larger demographic that live out of the area and they're you know, wealthy people and they come into town because they want to live here. And there's a lot of great features about living here. And so the demand hasn't gone down and yeah. that hasn't, you know, the man, demand keeps coming mostly from like the West side and stuff like that or out of state, but that's what's kept the prices going the way they have. Yeah. yeah. I don't see that ever sort of, uh, of course it's going to be cyclical, right? But it's for like, sure, but there's only one strand Right. There's only so it's like in yeah. the, the they're not making more land and the yeah. big money they get what they want and if they want a strand home yeah it, there's no show me the comps right. it's how much will it take for right. me to get this home right even if it's for sale or yeah. not right there's right. been stories where you know totally. a door knock here's an offer yeah. for your home yeah and you know what's crazy to me two things I'll say one is the last year or two things have been price sensitive. I'm not saying prices have gone down, but buyers have been more sensitive. They're not going to just throw good money after bad over something. But if it's priced right, there are buyers out there to gobble these things up. That's something that, you know, you can't just ask whatever you want anymore where there was a time. There was a time. I want to say like, I want to say three years ago, I might be wrong, but... I didn't one of an agent who who will remain nameless right? okay. tell me about they closed a deal on the strand. I'm not sure who they represented, but they were half of the transaction, right? Right. And I think it was a seller. Yeah, they represent a seller. And I guess there was a buyer who was looming that missed out on okay. the transaction for whatever reason. Right. So literally before it had it had closed escrow, he he contacted this agent and said as soon as escrow closes, I will pay you, pay the owner a million dollars to sell it back to me. Wow. Over cash. Wow. Did they do that? They didn't do it. Okay. Because it's like, again, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not, it's like. Yeah. What's interesting too, on a, uh, like kind of a caveat, but a similar idea, some of the most motivated buyers are the next door neighbor. Like that's one thing we're seeing more of these days. And it's not a huge scale, but we're seeing more and more people buying the lot next door, you know, cause you know, in some of these neighborhoods like the tree section or the sand section, these lots aren't very big. 
I'm a 4,000 square feet in the tree section, four to 5,000 square feet for your average lot. The sand section is 2,700 square feet for a quote unquote full lot. And so uh, the strand is 3,300 square feet. I mean, these are not big properties. And so you're seeing like the neighbors come by and grab the small house next door so they can put, you know, put a pool in or, you know, just have control over. Build a yard. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Put a guest house. Like it's, it's been an interesting phenomenon in the area that's happening more than you would think. Yeah. So speaking of the appreciation and stuff, what, what's the biggest, when it was heyday, when it was frothy, what, what's the biggest, you know, price offer over list that you saw? Yeah, I don't know that I have a, an ex, insanely exciting answer, you know, but it would be somewhere along the lines of I've seen things in, you know, the high ones, the $2 million range go for, you know, 10% over what they're asking. So you're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars from the list price. I've seen, I haven't personally been involved, but you've seen some of the super high end go, you know, a million dollars over, but that is, you know, in comparison is also around 10% of what they're asking. So that's probably, you know, a typical like crazy story. Like, oh my God, it went, you know, the X over. It's usually around 10%. It seems to really catch people's eye. Obviously hearing those stories less and less with the buyers being a little more conservative for sure. Just because a lot of the like highly motivated buyers already bought. So it's kind of the more people that are, I would say, less motivated. There's not this huge need or desire. And again, we're talking about wealthy people in general compared to the rest of the country, right? And so they don't, they, you know, they have this approach that I'm going to be more conservative or more, you know, astute with the purchase I'm making. And so I, I would say like that combination of slightly less motivated for the no like crazy desire and, you know, people wanting to feel like they're making a smart decision because there's uncertainty. You know, we've had such a run up. I mean, like you said, 50% from 2013, that's 10% a year, basically. I mean, that's insane. And then on a big number to right, begin with. And then all the, all of what's going on in the world. You know, the political climate and just the just the feeling that we're due for a correction. You know, I mean, the last downturn was 2007, 2008, 10 years ago. Usually the cycles in real estate are shorter than that. So everybody's just trying to time the market and they just like they want to feel smart, like, oh, I timed it right instead of being the last one in, you know, before it goes down. (laughs) But it if you. I say this to everybody, like if you hold on for the long term, like, I mean, history proves that you're going to be totally fine. You know, you're going to do very well. And And these rates, like I can't, I mean, I am hitting this home. These rates, even if you overpaid and like two years from now, the market dips 10%, but it'll come back and you've locked in this 3.75 interest rate for 30 years. You're going to look like a genius. I mean, yeah. I just when all your buddies are buying houses five years from now at 6%, you know? And that's what people forget. Like, oh, I want to wait till the market turns down. Well, rates are going to go up. Is it really going to be that much more affordable? There's an equation there where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, the price went down 10%, but my interest rate doubled. You know what I mean? Like some of these traditional buyers are borrowing 70 80% so that the double in interest rate has a more significant effect. You know what I mean? So... It's, yeah. it's, it's all, you got to take it all into consideration. And speaking of real estate as a, you know, 
It's sort of an investment. I mean, what's wrong, even in normalized times, with a 3% return on a million-dollar asset per right. year? Like, I mean, I don't know. I have a about... savings account. I don't even get a full percent. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's crazy. Yeah. So let's talk about the real estate industry and market for a moment. I mean, the industry has been crazily disrupted and continues to be. Zillow's CEO just stepped out. I don't know if you heard that last no. week. Um, there's lots of turmoil there. Compass continues to raise, you know, ungodly amounts of money and gobbling up, you know, boutique brokerages and growing and growing, you know, mergers and acquisitions continue to still get the South Bay, right? right? We talked about South Bay brokers, yep. you know, Shorewood where you worked for yeah. a long it's period gone. of time is yeah. gone. When you look at the South Bay in the last five to seven years, where do you see this going in terms of like, we've been sort of not immune insulated we've been insulated yeah right and but now that insulation is beginning to to crack a little bit like totally i just saw on the way into work yesterday a rex listing sign on a huge house i don't even somewhere. know what that is rex yeah. is a discount broker yeah. out of uh the west side okay. or somewhere yeah like, i mean we've know? we've had discount brokerages before you know in my history in the business the one that really interests me and i like want to keep an eye on and, and have been keeping an eye on is compass like They've got like a billion dollars behind them, some crazy yeah. amount of money, venture capital behind them, and they are pushing their investments behind the actual agent. And that is a big difference between what the fear has been for somebody in my industry, which is like having Amazon come in or Google come in or whatever, where they're trying to automate our business and remove the agent from the process. Right. Here you have somebody with hundreds of millions of dollars coming in and basically throwing it behind the agent. You know, you would like to think there's a lot of smart people that think that's a way to go as well. And so I do truly believe we provide an inherent value or at least agents like myself. I'd like to include myself and in somebody that takes a lot of pride in being an expert in their industry. And I've seen what I've advised my clients to do, make my clients a lot of money, make their lives happier, make their families happier. And you can't do that with an automated system. And a lot of these people are busy and they, you know, you have to dedicate a lot of time if you want to remove the agent from the process. That's my belief. So Compass really interests me as far as like, it, and they are making waves. They're coming yeah. into town. They've already infiltrated the West Side, and they're going across the country too. And they've got a lot of technology behind them and a lot of money behind them. I'll be curious to see how that works. But the other half of your question is, like when I started 15 years ago, like the South Bay was this little, not, you know, quote unquote bubble in so many different ways, but with the real estate industry. And two independent brokerages like just dominated this area yeah. and they dominated for 30 plus years. And the big corporate companies, Colwell Banker, Christie's, Sotheby's, even Remax, who's been around, like never really dominated the area. They couldn't take over the area. And now that those two smaller independent companies have kind of dissipated one merge and the other one sold, but then it just completely disappeared in Shorewood. That's been the biggest difference is now these big corporate companies have come in and we have Strandhill Christie's, which I'm a part of that really, you know, is does amazing in the Hermosa Manhattan Beach area. One of the biggest players and they were only how many years old? I mean, like they're only 
I think four years old. Four years old I've been yeah. with them a full year now. And and by the way, we have a fraction of the amount of agents that like Sotheby's does. And Sotheby's has like almost 300 agents and we have like less than 100. So the fact that I don't have the stats, so I don't want to misquote, but if we're either number one in Manhattan Beach or like right up there with number one or number two, and as far as transactions and volume, it's a pretty amazing thing. That's awesome. So back to Zillow for a minute, because this is what's interesting. I find like their market valuation, market cap is like, you know, it hovers, depending on their stock price, between six and $8 billion, which is crazy. Yeah. They've never made money. Right. Um, and now like they're Twitter though too, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those build it and we'll eventually get profitable. Yeah. But they've, with the CEO leaving, they're, they now they're doubling, tripling down on their whole iBuyer thing mm-hmm. where they're buying homes and flipping them and all that. What do you think is going to become of someone like Azilla, who was like a real estate disruptor 1.0? I mean, they're 10 years old, whatever, but like even their old hat in a sense. That right. Now there's open door and there's, you think they're going to be a brokerage one day? Do you think they'll flip the switch? Like, I mean, I could definitely see that happening with all that kind of money. Those types of companies look for other avenues to make revenue. And if they think they can make revenue by buying and flipping and or becoming a brokerage, I think it's a testament, though, if that does happen to the value of an agent, like if they turn into a broker, they're going to have, you know, even like Redfin, I mean, they have agents. They just have a different business model than like a traditional brokerage. But I don't know what's going to happen with Zillow. And I just always feel like this area is either going to be like the last affected or not affected because it's, it is such a unique area. And, you know, where they're buying is like, from my knowledge, is like uh, Nevada and Arizona yeah. where they're, where it's easy to acquire things like that. And yep. the transactions very are simpler. Tracked homes, very homogenized. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. Yes, yeah. here. So I don't, I don't see that as an imminent threat at, at this time. Yeah, it's interesting. There's just to watch that. Keep an eye on on, on that development. For Amazon sure. too. No, I know. I mean, Amazon's. Anyway, so in closing, let's get back to maybe some fun stuff, non real okay. estate. So I hear you're on this this twenty two thousand nineteen workout challenge. <laughs> well, tell us about this that. Is, okay, I was inspired by my real estate coach. I'm a real estate coach was part of the Tom Ferry real estate coaching network. And he did this thing last year where he did 250 cardio workouts in a year. And it comes out to like roughly two of every three days you're working out. And so I just started this year off thinking, I want to do something different. Physical fitness has been something that I really want to focus on. It makes me feel better and healthier and, you know, allows me to eat what I want to eat. Because <laughs> right. I, I have a little self-control problem when it comes to food. So yeah, I'm doing 250 workouts in a year. And I'm, I'm posting it on my Instagram stories to kind of keep myself accountable. Nice. So, but it's been quite a conversation starter for people. And I, get a lot of, I get a lot of messages and people bring it up when they see me. It's kind of been, it's kind of been cool. That's awesome. So do you have a favorite vacation spot? Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's become less of a vacation because my basically my whole family's moved there, but Maui has always been a great place for you know somewhere I love to go and I have two kids and they love it over there, but my sister and brother-in-law live there with their two kids and my mom has basically moved there with my stepdad. So, I don't really stay at their house. We we tend to 
get a hotel or whatever. Where do you like to stay in Maui? Well, the kids love the Grand Wailea because it's got the most insane like water park pool kind of thing. But yeah, we stay in the Wailea area because that's where the, the family lives. So Awesome. Yeah. Are you working on a real estate project in Kona, Hawaii or something? I'm not working on anything. Nothing there? No. No. We got a fact. We have a, we, we got a rumor, but no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the biggest thing, if, if you don't mind me jumping in, the Please. biggest difference for me in the last 18 months is I took over my stepdad's property management company. And that has been quite an experience. A learning process, uh, but it is a great overlap to my brokerage business. A lot of my clients are at a point in their lives and in and in their investment strategy that they want to include in income property. A lot of clients nowadays, because of the wealth in the area, they don't sell their old house; they keep it mm -hmm. because they think it's a great asset to hold on to. So I can now provide these management services for these clients. And then my stepdad had a, a great book of business that I've taken over. So we manage about 105 units wow. in the South Bay area. And it's, it's become a great overlap for, for my brokerage business. Yeah. So that's my project, so to speak. Yeah. Good deal. So Dan, it was great to chat with you today. Thank you so much for your time. And we, we definitely enjoyed hearing your your personal story and uh, insight in the market. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. I mean, this is my first like official real estate podcast. So this was this was cool. Awesome. I like it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to the Diggs Influencer Podcast. We'll look forward to hooking up next time. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.